long ago in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Lucasfilm presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 101, The Empire Strikes, Star Wars, issue number 18, cover date December 1978. Welcome back to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine Presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, and it's been too long. Yes, it has. Uh, it has for me anyway. And for those of you out in podcast land, some of you, you've been waiting. Some of you, you're listening to this now and you're wondering what's he talking about. I didn't notice any wait because they're on episode 134 and... You know how podcasting works. People find podcasts, they start listening to podcasts, and the rules of time and space don't apply with podcasts, and especially time-traveling podcasts like this. Now, for this set, uh, where we're looking at December cover date of 1978, we are going back in time to take a look and see what's on the spinner rack. So you need to take your Omni. And you set that Omni for September 1978. So we can pull these comic books off the spinner rack with the cover date of December 1978 and buy some 35 cent comics. Now, um, that seems like a great deal. Uh, although recently we did have an even better deal here in 2017. We did have uh, free comic book day, which I actually I need to do an episode about that because I had some pretty awesome things in, drop into my lap for free comic book day. And I also have a comic book on hold at my local comic shop. It's been on hold for two weeks now. Uh, and it was only 25 cents. Uh, it was sword quest, <laughs> which is one of those Atari comics that they're doing. And, um, it's 25 cents and my local comic shop has a $5 limit for a card. And whenever I go there, I don't have ca uh, cash. So I've had to wait two weeks to get that book because I've got things on my pull list and almost every week there's at least something there for me. But for the last two Wednesdays, nothing. And so it's waiting for me and uh, my local comic shop owner, he's, he's, he's fine with it, but we just have to wait because I never bring cash and I wasn't going to use the one quarter that was in the van the last time I went because that quarter is my wife's quarter that she uses to get the cart at Aldi. Yes, we shop at Aldi. We are, um, yeah, I'll, I'll call it frugal. We're, we're frugal. Uh, you could say we're cheap. You could also say that we're poor. But no matter how you're looking at it, we're shopping at Aldi. And so that that quarter is in there for a specific purpose. There used to be more quarters in there, uh, but someone... 
got into our cars and stole all the change out of our cars. So my car, my wife's van, uh, all the change was gone. So that quarter in there is not mine to touch to buy a quarter comic. I'll just have to wait and see what happens this coming Wednesday. So anyway, uh, let's see. Um, I do want to do an episode about the free comic book day thing on the main feed. Um, and actually, as you're listening to this, I might have already done so by the time this episode goes live, because you know how time travel, the laws of space and time don't apply. This is podcasting and, uh, you know, just throw out all of the things you learn in physics, just throw it out the window. And we're doing comic book time travel here, not even good sci-fi time travel, just comic book time travel. So looking at the spinner rack today, we've got all the standards, you know, you see there's a Spider-Man, there's the X-Men, there's Defenders, there's Avengers, there's another Spider-Man book and another one. Uh, but we also have Star Wars number 18 and we have Human Fly number 16 and we have Godzilla number 17 and we have John Carter number 19. And what's this on the magazine rack next to the spinner rack? Marvel Super Special number six. Hmm. Well, What's on the cover there? That's a shark. Hmm. Well, we'll be getting to this later, but this will be the second Peter Benchley related comic book that we've been looking at. And uh, yeah, I, I wonder if it's going to be as good as The Deep. Well, well, we will see. Oh, and of course, there's Devil Dinosaur Machine Man number nine. So it looks like we have a pretty cool month of comics here with December of 1978, the cover date. So let's get started. Star Wars issue number 18 uh, went on sale September 26th of 1978. The cover price, like I said before, 35 cents. Page count, 32. But story pages, not 32. <laughs> There's only 17. And that's par for the course. That's still, I mean, you're getting a cover image for a penny. And then you're getting a page of story for two cents each. I mean, this is a good deal. As long as the comic book is good, it's a good deal. Anyway, the writer is Archie Goodwin. He's also the editor. Uh, the penciler is Car Carmine Infantino. The inker, Gene Day. The letterer is Rick Parker. The colorist is Janice Cohen. And the consulting editor, Jim Shooter. The title of the story, The Empire Strikes. Not back. No, the Empire isn't striking back yet. Uh, it's getting around to striking back. Right now, it's just plain striking. Um, although I'm not sure how much striking actually happens. It's more chasing and getting ready to strike than actual striking. But, you know, we can quibble about the title later. The cover to this comic is just really odd for me. And it's odd for two different reasons for me. Reason number one is, like I said, The Empire Strikes. I mean, the cover itself has the, the little... Um, the corner box with Luke Skywalker and his red lightsaber and then says adventures beyond the greatest space fantasy film of all. And I, again, I would not disagree. We are talking about definitely the greatest space fantasy film of all in that first star Wars and the greatest space fantasy franchise of all as well. Um, but then it says the empire strikes. It just cracks me up because this, you know, they obviously did not know, uh, that this was going to be the title of the movie. It seems like nobody knew that this was going to be the title of the second movie because, let's be honest, uh, if they had known 
at Lucasfilm, they would never have allowed them to call this The Empire Strikes. But it's also odd to me because of the actual picture that's there on the cover. And this just cracks me up. Yeah, uh, framing around the main image of the cover is a bunch of stormtrooper heads and guns. And they're all pointed at one thing. And it's, you know, a classic cover in that way, because even, uh, you know, you have Star Wars in the bold lettering, but the Empire Strikes is kind of tapered uh, down. So it's wider at the top and it gets thinner. And that's if it continued, it would be, you know, a triangle that would point to the middle of this bottom, the middle of the bottom half of the, the, of the cover. And so everything on this cover is pointing to C-3PO. And not just pointing to C-3PO, it's pointing to C-3PO holding Luke Skywalker in his arms. Um, you know, if you think about the cover of, uh, I, I believe it's uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, I'm not sure what issue it is, where Superman is holding Supergirl's body in his arms, and she's dead. You know, she's just laying limp in his arms. And and there's a Batman holding Robin. Uh, you know, there's these are classics of comic book cover uh, imagery. They go back to this often. And they, they do this riff on this, this, you know, the character holding someone else. I've seen, you know, I've seen it with Thor. I've, I've seen it with a number of different characters, a number of different comic books, uh, even before the Crisis comic book that, that to me is, I think, is probably the most famous. And this is before that, too, with C-3PO holding Luke Skywalker in his arms. And I'm just thinking to myself, I didn't realize that C-3PO was strong enough oh, to be able to hold a, you know, a, a healthy um, average size human being in his arms. Now, I shouldn't say healthy. I mean, Luke's not looking good. In fact, I notice he's not looking good, but one of the stormtroopers also notices he's not looking good. The stormtrooper says, there's the wounded rebel spy. Vaporize him and the droids. And behind C-3PO is R2-D2. And yeah, so anyway, this was drawn by Carmen Infantino. And it, as I was looking at this, I thought, well, this must be something that's representational of what goes on in the comic. There's no way that this actual scene happened in the comic. Or did it? Well, I've already read the comic, so I know. But, uh, spoiler, it happens in the comic. It does. And so this just cracks me up. And it's a great cover, you know, as far as composition. And the way it draws the eye, the way it's supposed to draw the eye and everything like that. But it just seems so absurd to me. C-3PO holding Luke Skywalker. I don't know why. Maybe it shouldn't seem absurd to me. Um, but there it is. <laughs> so let's get inside this book, though. Inside the book, we have um, Archie Goodwin is the writer editor, and he is continuing the story that he had been writing. It's taking off directly from last issue sort of because last issue was a fill-in with um was plotted by Cl chris claremont although scripted by archie goodwin and it had help from uh, herb trimpey and al milgram as well and it was a fill-in issue i think because of an artist transition situation they had going on here because carmen infantino is the guy who will be doing a lot of the artwork for star wars in the in the, the upcoming months from what i know um I don't know how many issues, and I'm not sure if it's every single one, but I think it is for a long while here. 
And uh, so we have this new team. They're going to get us back on track after using that fill-in issue, which was, you know, a solo Luke adventure. But he's in the Millennium Falcon thinking about this adventure he had as a young, younger boy on Tatooine. And it's because he's he's on the Millennium Falcon because they are going to Yavin base. And that's from two issues ago when they left <laughs> to go to Yavin base. And now they're continuing that journey. And uh, we start with a splash page of them in hyperspace. And it's cool. Honestly, the splash page that we start with is it's cool, but it's probably. It's not as as cool as it as it could be or should be. It's just setting where we are. This is the setting. We're in the spaceship and the spaceship is in hyperspace. And so here's the thing about Carmen Infantino. He is the first artist who ever made me kind of see a style of art that was recognizable beyond house style when I was a kid. Um, before reading a Carmine Infantino Star Wars comic, which we'll get to the actual issue soon enough. But anyway, his his characters, they sort of look like the people from the movie. But they had these angular faces and these angular bodies and the faces and the bodies and and even the tech and stuff was different from the Marvel house style from the comics I had read, uh, like uh, Spider-Man and uh, Captain America Avengers and and cartoons I'd seen on TV, mainly the Spider-Man cartoon from what, 68, 67, whatever it was, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man um, with a, a more rounded superhero physique and, you know, more realistic buildings and that sort of thing. And And so he was the first artist that I ever came in contact with. Uh, where I recognized that this was someone choosing to not draw 100% realistic. And I remember puzzling over this and looking at that comic book. And we'll, like I said, we'll get to the actual issue. But um, I remember just looking at it and trying to figure out, you know, is, that's Han Solo. That doesn't look like Han Solo, but it does look like Han Solo. And the way his jawbone was and everything like that. So here, you know, reading this takes me takes me right back to that. And, and uh that's not to say it doesn't work, but it is to say <laughs> you, it takes a little bit of used to. And R2-D2 does not feel right because he's not proportioned. And since he's not human, you know, he's not even anything that we are used to in our world, except for maybe a garbage can or something like that. Um, it takes a little more getting used to when you're dealing with things that are not from our Earth, where we would already be familiar with this. So I'm, I'm looking at humans and I'm willing to accept the stylistic choices. But then I look at R2-D2, which I only know R2-D2 uh, as, you know, this round character with a dome. And and then the other one is <laughs> Chewbacca, man. Uh, he looks like just that funky Bigfoot and and the stormtroopers. They have the stylized angular angularity. Sure, we'll go with that word. Um, but again, because they're wearing masks. It looks a little strange because it's it's one fantasy representation of the world in the film being represented in another style. And it, it's it just takes a little getting getting used to. So the story itself uh, is. Again, I, maybe I shouldn't be spoiling all this stuff, but it, it's good. It's a, it's a good story. Uh, it's a very simple story as far as what happens in this particular issue, but it's definitely setting up a whole bunch of stuff that's going to be happening later um and we already had the setup with that hunter guy that cyborg guy uh 
he's not in this and I'm waiting for him. I want him to come back. And and so now the place where they're going in this issue, I can totally see him just really fitting in nicely into the tone of, of the place where they're going to be. I don't know when he's going to come back, but I am excited to see him come back. But I'm also glad to see the team working together in this story. We have Luke, Leia, Han, C-3PO, Chewie, R2-D2. They're all together on one ship. This is the kind of story I would have loved as a kid because it had the whole team together. And I had the whole team as action figures. And I didn't have the Millennium Falcon for a while, uh, but I had other things that I used to be the Millennium Falcon or a ship like that where my team would all be together. And reading this comic just takes me back to those days when I was just loving the idea of this team of friends and you know, waiting for the next movie to come along. Speaking of that Millennium Falcon that I didn't have, uh, my cousin had it. And when they moved to California, I got to buy that Millennium Falcon from him at his garage sale. And just, and I, as of the day that I'm recording this, we just got back from vacation two days ago, two days ago from this time I'm recording this, I had to throw it away. I was helping my mom clean out some stuff in her garage and I pulled out that Millennium Falcon and I looked at it and it was just, it was just broken. The canopy was missing. Um, different pieces were missing and different plastic edges have been chipped off. And, and I'm just looking at it and thinking my son can't play with this. He's going to cut himself on the plastic or pinch his finger in, you know, where the plastic isn't quite broken, but there's a crack there, you know? And I just looked at that thing and just remembered all the adventures that I had my action figures go on and all the time I spent just in my fantasy world. And I tossed it. I threw it away. I wasn't going to be able to sell it. I wasn't going to make my, my son play with it. There was no repairing it. It went in the garbage. Oh, that hurt. It hurt. But it had to happen. I had to let it go. So anyway, <laughs> back to the story. The characters are all here and they're acting like the characters from the movie. So me reading this now. Yes, this is a very simple story. And yes, there's some logical things, illogical things, I should say that. You know, the story isn't a perfect story, but it definitely, definitely fits into the world, especially the world as established in just that first Star Wars movie. Uh, this this works really nicely. So as they're returning to Yavin. Uh, C-3PO calls everyone to an emergency in uh, not the rec room, but the main area of, of the Millennium Falcon uh, because Luke has shut down, quote unquote. Uh, that's what C-3PO keeps saying. Han Solo keeps telling him to stop saying that. But Luke has shut down. Apparently, while practicing using the force, he stopped and was doing a meditation exercise. And that meditation exercise gave him a vision that really just terrified him. And scared him unconscious. Now, we don't know what the vision is, just that something is coming. Something beyond among the stars uh, is out there. And it's coming and who knows what it is. We won't because Luke's unconscious. He can't tell anyone. Fortunately, R2-D2 happened to be recording the training session. And so R2-D2 was able to play it for everyone else so they could see what had happened. They now need medical help and Han Solo knows what to do. And this is bringing us into some of that interplay where he is bickering with, with Princess Leia. And 
it's bickering that reminds me of Empire Strikes Back kind of bickering, but it's it's fun interplay. Uh, you know, he's he's saying we got to find some medical help. He says nobody knows the ins and outs of this galaxy better than this spice smuggler, uh, and uh, you've got nothing to worry about uh, your your royalness. And then she says, well, why am I still worried? You know, and and then he comes out of hyperspace and he comes out in the wrong place. He's in the right uh, quadrant, I think it is. Uh, let's see. Yeah, we're in the right quadrant, but the wrong sector. And that sector is really a bad place to be because there is um, an Imperial presence there. And uh, actually, the TIE fighter that approaches them is Darth Vader's style of TIE fighter. And I'm thinking, oh, is this what Luke saw as Darth Vader on his way? But no, they actually blow it up then because that's what you do. Get them before they get you. But they know there's others there and they need to get out of there. But then they come across this ship that's been destroyed and is just smoking and uh, it's been attacked, obviously, very, very recently. Um, it's it's a private merchant ship and it's mar- marked House of Tag, which uh, this tag, um, I don't know anything about the House of Tag. I do know that uh, the that comic book I was talking about earlier had a character named Tag in it, T-A-G-G-E. And so that gets me a little excited. Oh, so we're, we're building toward the comic book that I had when I was a kid that I've been you know looking forward to. Anyway, the Imperials clearly did this, but then in the wreckage, they see a man alive, a body floating in the wreckage wearing rebel gear. And... So they bring him aboard and he tells them that Imperials destroyed the ship and then planted these dead and dying rebel bodies as if they were part of the battle. And so we have a conspiracy now. And as they're considering this, uh, Star Destroyer closes in. And so Han makes a run for it. (laughs) They're very close to where they need to be and they can possibly escape this Star Destroyer. Now on the Star Destroyer is a guy, his name is uh, Commander Strom. And he's bald. He's bald and he's bad. And I think he's bald simply just so all these guys in these very similar uniforms, he's the one you can recognize as as the uh, the leader of our antagonists here. But they are headed toward this area that's sanctuary for them. That is the wheel. And this place is a giant space station. And it's basically a casino. I'm going to go ahead and read what is written here about it in the captions. It's, um, but the picture of it is, is something like a, like a giant space station with all these parking ports for these, these small ships to get you know land there. Uh, and then it's a circle. It's a wheel. But it has these kind of building structures that are all along the inside rim of the wheel. And then there's also these larger portions that are connecting, you know, one side to the other. And that and kind of reminds me of a really nasty version of the circular um, station in 2001. So anyway, it says uh, its size makes it appear closer than it is. But the wheel's reputation does not rest on its size. There are other constructions in the galaxy larger, more awesome. The wheel is a monument. A monument to pleasure, to risk, to greed, and to those with the need or the desperation. It is also a monument to life and death. Now, the Imperials have created a sanctuary space 
where the wheel is. And that sanctuary space is an imperial courtesy, but Han Solo goes in thinking it's almost law, you know, and it's not. And so Captain Strom, the the bad bald man, he is going to go after them anyway. He's going into this sanctuary area, and he is going to dock with the ship, and he is going to send his men, his stormtroopers, after these rebels. Now, the Millennium Falcon, they fly in hot, they land hot, they jump off the ship and run away from the ship before they do, you know, do any kind of registration or anything like that, and they leave the droids and Luke on the ship. And the reasoning isn't bad. Uh, let's see, the way Han Solo puts it is... Um, you're a leader, you're a known leader of the Rebel Alliance with the Empire hot on our heels. Luke's much safer with these two anonymous droids. But it does cause a commotion because they didn't pay and then they, they left the ship almost immediately. And so they're going to go to the authorities. Well, the authorities are Senator Grayshade and a robot, a droid named Mastercom. And Grayshade gets in communication with Captain Strom. And he is against the Imperials coming and killing the rebels until he hears about how rebels destroyed that ship. Uh, now, look, obviously, the rebels didn't do it, but the House of Tag name changes his tune. And I looked a little bit around after I read this. I could not find any indication that he is of the House of Tag, but I'm pretty sure Grayshade is of the House of Tag. Anyway, now he's just fully... Uh, willing to compromise the whole sanctuary thing. And uh, so stormtroopers, they come in and they find C-3PO. They find R2-D2 and they find Luke and they find them in the cover image. C-3PO is carrying Luke, trying to find help. And I'm thinking, okay, I I guess that whole thing about him being strong enough, it's, you know, I, the cover is not representational. The com The cover is literal what is inside the story. Then Grayshade sees Leia on some camera images and realizes what he has in his hands right now is this catch. Now, Leia has already said uh, for us, the reader and for Han Solo, that her father was against the construction of the station. And so it's clear Senator Grayshade, who still wants to go by senator, even though the Senate has been dissolved and even though he used his, <laughs> his position as senator uh, in some dubious ways. He still wants to be called Senator, so clearly he has a history with Leia's father and knows who he has. And that's the end. And so we go from that to the next issue, the ultimate gamble. And again, this is a casino, so it makes sense they'd have some ultimate gambles here if they're fighting for their lives. Bottom line for this issue, this is a good Star Wars story, especially considering the time that it was made, where there is no... EU expanded universe, or at least that's not a label. Anyway, all we had going for us after the star Wars movie was star Wars comics and star Wars novels, which there weren't that many of and star Wars action figures in our own imagination. And so for me, it was mostly, you know, one or two comics, especially when I was this young, I didn't have any of these issues here uh, up until this point and my imagination and this, to me, is a great continuation of that first Star Wars movie, especially considering how much did they know? What Maybe they knew what was going to happen in the next Star Wars movie. And there were limitations put on them. They weren't allowed to kill off any main characters. 
and they weren't allowed to have Darth Vader meet Luke Skywalker and fight him, you know, face to face. They could see each other. But anyway, this is, a like I said, a great continuation. There's adventure. There's cool character interplay and fun and funny character interplay. The R2-D2 C-3PO stuff, not the greatest, but the Han Solo Princess Leia stuff, what little there is, it's fun. There's bad guys forcing dangerous situations out of our good guys. There's politics even and world building and world building for the purpose of story. You know, we got a new setting with the wheel and we also have this political situation where the tax revenues from the wheel uh, fill the empire's coffers and, and gives the empire a lot of money to uh, to run the things they need to run and build the things they need to build. And then we end with our characters put in some no-win situations where Han Solo is running with Princess Leia toward uh, Grey Shade. At least I, I'm, I'm assuming they are. And he's ready to do some you know, schemey bad stuff. And yeah, finally though, stormtroopers, they really are hard to draw. <laughs> so I, I feel for Carmine Infantino stylistically it works, but it just feels a little odd, a little off. Anyway, that is star Wars issue number 18. That is also me back in the saddle with some new stuff. And I am excited to read um, I don't know what's going to happen next with the human fly, with Godzilla, all those things. Um, but I'm excited about those as well. And so that's where we're going to go now. I think we're going to go to the human fly issue number 16. That is next, the next segment of Marvel's Cosmic Comics. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. episode Niagara Nightmare Human Fly number 16